When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. It's me, Dr. Derek Williams. We have had a lot of great feedback from many of our listeners saying that they really enjoy hearing from the experiences of guests guests that we have had on the show. You know, Steve, Justin, and I really enjoy sharing our experiences, but sometimes it just means more coming from someone that's right in the middle of making a lot of big changes in their practice or, you know, someone that's kind of recently kind of got over that hump. So I'm really excited for today's episode. Today, I have with me Dr. Talon Davis. Talon, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing great, Derek. Doing great. Life is going well, and, and we're having a good time. Nice. I really wanted to bring Talon on the show because we recently just finished uh, working together. And we worked together for a year, and uh, I think Talon's got a knack for being introspective and being very open about what he learns. You feel like that, Talon? Yeah. I have no secrets to hide. I have I have nothing that, that I can't tell, you know, if somebody asks. You know, I find with dentistry and being a small business owner, we have to spend a lot of time thinking about what we bring to the table. I think it's important to evaluate that as much as you can and be willing to share that. Yeah, for sure. And I felt like that a lot in the beginning too. I was uh happy to share. I was on uh, shared practices a, a few times and I always kind of had that feeling like just hoping, you know, if any, if anyone could learn from my experience, you know, same thing with Dentaltown and some of the Facebook groups. But anyway, so the, the first question that I mean, is just kind of general, can you just give us kind of a brief background of yourself and how you came to be a dentist? Yeah. So, you know, I, for most of my life, trained in classical music, came from a musical family, and that's really what we focused on for the most part. Went to school, you know, went to college, uh, undergrad and master's to get degrees in classical music performance. I had always planned on being a classical musician long term. So I worked in that industry for you know a few years and, and relatively quickly figured out that it wasn't going to provide the quality of life that I was looking for. Um, that's kind of a big thing with me is that I can be happy doing most any work as long as once I'm done with that work, I can have, you know, the quality of life that I want. At some point, I kind of left music and decided to come into dentistry. Do you have siblings, Talon? I do. I have two older sisters. So are they both performers? One of them is my oldest one. The other one is actually a, uh, well, they're both principals now. They're both school principals now, but in the past they were musicians. But one of them is actually like a pretty good basketball player as well so oh nice yeah that's cool tell us a little bit more about it what instrument did you play sure yeah i played the double bass or the upright bass it's the largest member of the string family played that for basically my entire life Uh, it's really the only instrument i know how to play with with any expertise and so it served me well for a really long time i still get to play it regularly that's cool did you ever play in any jazz bands because they've got big bass in in jazz bands right that's correct. Yeah. So I did primarily focus in classical, like symphony orchestras and things like that. Um, but of course, being a bass player, there's opportunities to play in jazz bands, folk bands, um, all really 
whatever you want to do, the the bass kind of integrates really well into uh, basically every musical style. Gotcha. That's cool. So what year did you finish school and how long did you perform professionally before you decided that you wanted wanted to do something different? Sure. So there's a lot of overlap kind of with my professional career and my time in school because, you know, I finished my undergrad in 2010 and, and my wife and I moved to North Texas to pursue our master's. And by the time both of us had finished our master's degrees, we had both decided that we didn't want to be music performers for the rest of our lives. And so, you know, I had started working professionally at the beginning of my master's degree because, you know, kind of the nature of uh, music as a, as a performer, you don't really have like a nine to five job. It's more like a couple of hours in the morning and then you have a concert in the evening. And so that sort of schedule worked really well with my school schedule. But, you know, in that process, I sort of realized that I was spending four to five nights a week uh, from 7 to 11 p.m. away from home. And it really wasn't what I wanted out of that, out of my life and all of that kind of stuff. And so by the time I had finished my master's degree, I knew after working as professionally as a musician for a couple of years, I knew that uh, it wasn't what I wanted to do, you know, as my major career. It wasn't going to work for me 30 years from now and that kind of thing. And so I decided to make that change. Gotcha. I'm curious if, if looking back now, like you have any feelings like, man, I, I wish I would have you know, known from the get-go that that's not what I wanted to do? Or, you know, do you still have like a big appreciation for that part of your life? How do you look look back on that? Yeah, I don't feel that way. I'm not really a person that lives with a lot of regret for things that have happened because I do like to try to focus on learning from every situation that I've encountered. You know, that decision to spend you know, many, many years of my life dedicated to something that I ultimately wouldn't pursue full-time professionally it's not something that I regret because I learned how to become really the person that I am doing that. Music is a, is a discipline that requires tremendous focus and poise. You, know, you have to learn how you best learn when you're a musician because the vast majority of your expertise is gained without help, without instruction. You, know, you spend hours and hours a day in the practice room and that requires discipline and understanding how to improve without someone else telling you what to do. And those are skill sets that I've been able to transfer to dentistry with no difficulty. Yeah, how interesting. I feel like one of the best things that you can do as a parent is to teach your kids how how to teach themselves how to learn. So it's it's cool to to hear the the parallels that you've you you learned how to learn and to work hard and that translated into dentistry really well. Absolutely. Okay. Let's jump to and talk about what were your goals as far as ownership? When you were in dental school, did you know that you wanted to get to ownership quickly? Did you prepare for that? What was your timeline? Those kinds of things. Yeah, so I, I definitely knew kind of when the when I decided to leave music and to go into dentistry, I did my research then to figure out what you know what's the best path into dentistry. And it very quickly became apparent that practice ownership was the way to go. You always had that option of like specializing and all that sorts of things. But I was already a little bit older. I had already given quite a bit of time to schooling. I knew that I didn't really want to go to three to four to six more years uh, in extra schooling for the you know added income potential of being a specialist or something like that. And so it seemed to me that you know the associate path wasn't going to really give you much freedom. And so, you know, practice ownership was the way to go. So I kind of entered dental school knowing that that's what I wanted to do the whole time, which 
really aids in your ability to sort of decide what's important as you navigate through dental school. Because as every dentist knows, um, there's a significant amount of information that we're given in dental school that just doesn't really mean much. Yeah. So you knew pretty early and you were very uh, intentional about the process as far as getting into ownership relatively quickly. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit about the search. We've uh, we've done a few episodes on acquisitions, looking for a practice, what to look for in a practice, and kind of some different pros and cons. Talk a little bit about your your process. How long did you search? You know, what were you looking for? How how has your practice ended up matching up with what you felt like you were looking for? Yeah, so I started looking for a dental practice like the third year of dental school, towards the end of the third year. I, you know, did multiple letter campaigns and then, you know, phone, phone calls, cold calls, meeting in person with dentists in the area that I wanted to end up in to see if we could find a practice and that would work for us. You know, my wife and I, when we decided, you know, here's where we want to live, here's what we want to do, here's what we want our plan to look like. You know, we picked an area that, that we wanted to stay in. And that area is pretty saturated. You know, it's, it's a competitive environment. You know, there's a lot of corporate offices. There's a lot of fee, you know, really good high-end fee-for-service offices. But then there's also a good mix of just regular PPO and even Medicaid. And so you know, the area that we ultimately chose wasn't an area that I knew that we would have, you know, the ability to just do a startup and, and blow it out of the water. That really wasn't the demographics there. And so I looked for a dental practice that was mature, first of all, had a mature patient base uh, that would allow me to instantly go in and have good patient flow, good collections and that sort of thing. Uh, but just like, you know, most people uh, do, I looked for an office that, you know, it was this older doctor that really wasn't doing, you know, the specialty procedures that I like to do. I love implants. I love surgery. It's, it's a big part of my practice now. And the, the practice that I ended up buying, they were basically doing none of that. And the patients really do appreciate having a doctor that can just get, take care of that for them rather than having to refer that, those sorts of things. Uh, and so once I found, you know, this practice, after you know, several years of looking, I was actually contacted by a broker who knew I was in that looking in that area uh, who said, you know, this practice is basically everything you've ever asked us for. So please take a look at it. And, you know, it only took a couple of weeks from the time they sent me the information for us to get an LOI in place. So, so you've been talking about the area competitiveness and stuff like that. So the area you're in is, is Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah, so my practice is in Arlington, Texas, which is the largest or one of the largest suburbs of DFW. And I think there's nearly you know, 400,000 people. I probably have 30 dentists within a two-mile radius of me. It's not you know the boonies or anything like that. And so there's a lot of competition for you know a fixed size you know a patient base because the area that I'm in also doesn't have a ton of new construction or you know new growth and that sort of thing and so in many ways I was hamstrung by the decision to come to this area but you know my wife and I had made that decision that this is what we wanted this is where we wanted our family to be and so this is what we were going to do we just have to accept you know the consequences of that and make appropriate changes to still be successful you know, despite it I love that attitude and mindset. And we talk about it a lot. A lot of times we'll do consults with people that are, you know, kind of starting out that process. And usually the first question that we, we want to answer is, 
how long do you want to be in this area? And if you're wanting to be in this area long term, okay, well, let's make sure that this is the area where you want to live. Do you want to settle here? Are you, you know, is being close to family important? And so, so are you close to your family? I think sometimes we think that we have to do things a certain way to get what we want out of something. But the whole, that's what I love about the lifestyle practice is that it's geared around deciding what you want out of life first and then reverse engineering the, pra- the, the practice to be able to provide that. Just talk a little bit about how did you decide on coaching with us at the lifestyle practice? So the, you know, the, basically kind of what you just said is, you know, it's, it's that reverse engineering process because, you know, I did that when I chose dentistry. I chose a career that had great quality of life or could have great quality of life and then worked forward as to how to get to that career and how to be successful in it. And so, and, you know, it only made sense once I actually got into dentistry and once I made it, graduated for me to take the same approach with my life. Uh, and so, you know, TLP really focuses on that sort of thing. And, you know, in our conversations, uh, you know, we've known each other for a long time. And so, you know, in our conversations, it's, it's been clear to me that we're of similar mindsets and we have similar end goals for our lives and that sort of thing. And so it just seemed like a natural fit for me. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk about uh, what your goals were in in the practice. You bought the practice and, uh, you know, we had a lot of potential to grow it, but there was kind of some different obstacles to maneuver through. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what were your expectations and kind of hopes and goals going into this? Yeah, so, you know, given the demographics, I knew that I wasn't going to take over and we were immediately going to, you know, double the production of the practice. That just wasn't really what I expected. Um, I did expect that we would have good growth, but not, you know, sort of like explosive, truly explosive growth, at least not in the very, very short term. And that that bore fruit, you know, the first couple of months, I think, you know, we actually did worse than the uh, seller did for, yeah, I think the first two months or so. And then in our third month, we had the best month of practice that ever had. And so, you know, I, I knew at that point that I, we'd made the right decision. The potential actually was there, truly was there. And so, you know, it was all possible. You know, just like any acquisition when you're buying an office from an older seller, you know, you're also buying his staff and you're buying his systems and you're buying his, you know, the flaws that come with the practice as well as the good parts. And so, you know, we had a lot of staff that were older, overpaid, not that they were resistant to change. It was just sort of that part of their career where, uh, and I don't blame them for that. It's like, you know, why would I want to learn this whole new way when, I might be here for a year or more, six months, you know, six more months and that sort of thing. And so it it was a challenge to sort of get everyone on board with the same mindset and the same, same kind of like growth mindset once we finally got into the practice. The practice also has had issues with like, you know, there was only three operatories when I took over. And so I actually gave up my office to build out a fourth operatory because uh, you, know, you can't really do what I want to do with only three operatories and that kind of thing. So, you know, we have a really small space. And so we're always constantly trying to focus on maximizing that space because it does limit you in your ability to produce that sort of thing. But I don't think any of the challenges that we faced or anything really that other dentists haven't had to deal with. And so the blueprint is certainly there for overcoming all that uh, and being successful. 
what would you say to others that are, you know, maybe in the in the process in the beginning? Can you share what that was like for you the first the first couple months having having a lower production and collections? Did you uh, did you start to worry that it was possibly the wrong practice or and then, you know, on the flip side, what was that like during the third month when you had the big increase, the best that the practice had ever had? I mean, that's that's pretty polar to be underperforming a couple months and then to have the best month that the practice had ever had, those are definitely on opposite ends. So talk through a little bit of the emotions and, you know, what you would tell others that maybe go through similar experiences. Just like anything in life, if you have a good plan and you trust in your plan, you just have to stick with it and eventually you'll get to where you want to be. You know, my first month, our seller was there that whole month basically. And then the last week of the month, I was gone the entire week for an implant training course. And so, you know, I bought this practice and basically wasn't in it. At that time, there was still three chairs. And so there was only one provider chair for, for the dentist. And so you know, the seller was finishing up cases and I was basically twiddling my thumbs in my office, sort of <laughs> wondering when I was going to get to do some work. And so that first month was basically a total wash where I owned the practice, but I didn't really own the practice. I didn't really own the, the production. That second month, uh, the seller was, was, had finally left, and it really became my operation. Uh, and so you know, that second month really kind of felt like my first month, where I was just, just beginning. You know, I think the patients were, were pretty quick to accept me. Uh, I think I was more conservative than I should have been in both my diagnosis and my you know, execution of treatment planning uh, with the patients and those sorts of things. And so you know, there just wasn't a lot of work that I ended up doing. I did diagnose a bit more, though, so that that next month, that third month, where we really just kind of exploded, it, that was the reason for that. And so a lot of things came together. And, you know, once it got to that point where it was like, yeah, you know, we really can do what I thought we could, you know, with even at that point, we had no systems. We were, you know, basically a new practice with staff that didn't like anything I was doing and a you know, new dentist that doesn't really know what he's doing, you know, new owner. And so, but we were still able to do all of that despite you know, all of those challenges. And so that was really gave me a lot of enthusiasm for the future because it's like, well, if we can be this successful despite not really knowing what we're doing and not having a great uh, execution of, of what our end plan was going to be, I think we can do anything. So uh, it was a stressful three months to see that because, of course, you want you want to be that story. You want to be the on the podcast and say, you know, oh, yeah, we did – 6.8 million my, my, my first six months, <laughs> but, you know, but that's not realistic for everybody. And that wasn't, I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't expect that. And I didn't think that was realistic for my, for my demographic and for my other uh, practice that I bought, but we eventually you know, got to the place that I want to be. And so, you know, like I said, you know, circling back, as long as you have the plan uh, and, and are willing to make appropriate changes when things don't go well, you know, everyone's going to make it just fine. So tell us about where, where you're at or how you ended up doing during that, during that first year as far as growth. Yeah, so we ended our first year having basically doubled the uh, collections of the office. Uh, they were doing around 55000 a month uh, historically, pretty consistently for the three years prior to me buying the office. And we, you know, we finished our 12th month. 
of actual work, you know, at, at in the 110 range. We've averaged 110 to 125 for the last three months or so. So we've really sort of embraced growth and embraced the mindset that we can do, you know, anything that we want to in the practice without really stressing ourselves or killing ourselves or running around. I'm not a dentist that likes to see 40 patients a day. You know, I don't like to to be stressed out about the dentistry I have to do and to, to cram things into my schedule. I like to set reasonable goals and if we reach those consistently, then I'm happy. And so, you know, we our our process from 55 to 110 and above took, you know, 12 months. Minus that whole COVID thing that, you know, we've yet to talk about, but, and we really don't need to talk about it unless you want to, <laughs> but, you know, it took, you know, 12 solid months of, of, of growth there for us to really consistently get there. But now we, we have that going for us. We've, it's, it's feels easy now for us to do that, that double production amount when in the past it felt like every time we had a new, you know, growth target, it, it felt like we were, you know, running to catch up. And so we've, kind of reach that plateau where it's uh, it feels comfortable to easily be doing six figures. And so now we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we do even more? How do we be more successful and that sort of thing? I, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. A lot of times, I mean, there's so many of us that hear stories about dentists that, you know, are, are doubling or, you know, having this, this huge amount of growth and your story I think is, is definitely one of those, you know, within, within a year of owning the practice, you doubled production. But a lot of times we hear those stories and we just think, oh my gosh, like, that's just so crazy. That's so cool. And in, in our minds, we see those people as maybe outliers or, you know, well, talented implants, you know, or we like to put reasons on that and make excuses for, you know, why that was able to happen for someone else. But when you actually dive in and talk about what you went through more specifically in those first few months, taking a little bit of a dip and how intentional the whole process is, it's a much different story. And we, at that point, when you learn how intentional it is and all of those little steps, just like you're talking about, making the goal to go from 5,000 to 6,000 a day, and then seven to eight, you know, every time you do that, that it feels tough. So you made a huge jump in a year, but it was month after month that you were able to, to do that. Any other thoughts you want to add on that? Yeah, I was, I was going to say that, you know, my practice is, is not, you know, when I took it over, if you walked into the building and looked around, you'd see nothing but fish decor and it looked like an old kind of decrepit dental office. And I'm surrounded by like very large, beautiful corporate practices that, you know, do everything right and have all these, you know, fancy electronic systems, all these, you know, all these things, all these advantages over my practice that, that we didn't, didn't have at the beginning. And so, you know, I, in hindsight, I would say that the demographics and the, the location of my office are prohibitive for growth. You know, everyone says, oh, let's have great signage and all those sorts of things. It's hard to find my dental office. And that's not great for growth, as you can imagine. So I say, I say all that to, to say that if we can be successful, despite all of those things, you know, simply by having the right attitude and having the right plan in place, you know, anyone can really do what I've done. It's, I don't think that the 
whole of what, or rather, the whole of what I've done might be something that's you know very interesting or exciting, but each individual step is very boring and very simple. And so it's that cumulative effort of doing all of those little things over a long period of time that leads to something like this. So. Excellent. I really appreciate all those thoughts, and I wanted I wanted to see if you could add add your own thoughts as far as how coaching played a role in all this. You know, we're talking about how intentional growth is and kind of maneuvering through those different things. What are your thoughts on how how that played a role in this whole process for you? Yeah, so I knew, you know, that kind of from my experience in music, I had known that getting to your ultimate goal, getting to your end goal requires help, right? And so, of course, I surrounded myself with like-minded people and talk about things that are important to me with my friends and, and prominent dentists and things like that. But it really requires specific help. And so in music, we have, you know, private lessons where you'll take an hour out of your week every week and spend that with a professional who's significantly more trained in a certain aspects uh, of your profession than you are. And so I knew that in dentistry, I, I was going to need that because I spent most of my time in dental school reading about, you know, dental business and that sort of thing, but I'd never been a practice owner. I'd never had to hire somebody or to run payroll, you know, those, those sorts of things. Or I'd also never been responsible for such a large kind of financial vision in implementing it. And so I knew that coaching was like one of those things that really was a no-brainer for me because you know a great coach is going to make someone who is already successful even more so. And so you know once I decided that TLP was uh, and you know with you was the way I wanted to go, you know I said we really sort of set a plan that was going to help me make that that year really go well. You know, the, what I like about coaching is that, you know, the very first thing that we did was sit down and, and figure out like, what is the end? Like, what's the goal? If everything goes perfectly, what does this look like, you know, six, 12 months from now, a year from now, five years, 10 years from now? And so, you know, if you begin with the end in mind, you, you have this clear sort of path or you have the ability to make the path, you know. And so coaching is, is, that, is the way to navigate the path. Ultimately, it's up to me to decide what my goals are, but a great coach, um, which I think you are, Derek, is going to help you walk that path and, and you know, maybe steer you this way, steer you this way, and really help you get to that point that you want to be. You know, a great coach is not someone that tells you what to do, and that's not how, how that works, and I don't, that's not how it worked in our time together. It's more like someone who here's what you want to do and gives you uh, specific insights that you may not have thought of uh, that helps you get to that point. Uh, and so in that respect, I think coaching is fairly invaluable. Thanks for sharing that. It's interesting. I have a couple thoughts. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Open. It's uh, it's Andre Agassi's autobiography. And you know he basically played tennis his whole life and one of the parts that's really interesting about the book is that he says that he's he hates tennis and he's hated tennis his whole life and that basically his his father forced him to play but i just read in the book today where he sat down with someone and asked for their opinion on his game and they shared all these things and um he was so impressed with it that he he asked he asked them to coach him and he hired them as as his coach and it it changed his whole strategy 
and not just his strategy, but his mindset and the way that he viewed his games. And uh, it ultimately led him to a lot more success. I re- I'm really interested in, and uh, fascinated by just that that idea that, you know, we all can benefit from having someone else to to guide us and to show us things and help us to uh, maneuver certain situations that we have not been in before. And a lot of times it's, it's hard because, you know, you're right in the middle of it. You know, I think of it like a boxing match, which, you know, when you're right in the middle of the ring, it's, it's really hard to see exactly what's going on in the match, but a coach, you know, someone on the outside that can say, Oh, when you're, when you're doing this, he's doing this. So if you just change this up, you'll be in a better position. And so, you know, it's the same with ownership. You know, we're, you're in the daily grind where you're talking with patients, you're doing clinical work, you're talking to staff and, and doing so many different things that sometimes it's hard to see the big picture. And, and a coach is able to do that a little bit more. The other thing that I wanted to kind of pick on that, that you said that I thought was so great is that I, I totally agree with you. I think that any coach, if you, if you ask for some advice from, from a coach, I think it's pretty rare that you should just hear a very straight answer. Most of the time, the response should be, what are your goals? Where are you trying to get to? Because if you don't, if a coach doesn't understand that part and don't, doesn't understand exactly where you want to get to, I don't know how they can really properly give the advice to help you get in that direction. And that's one of my favorite things about the coaching process and working with other dentists that is just like you said, it always starts at the very beginning. Where do we want to get to? And let's reverse engineer that. Let's, let's start working on the things today that are going to get you a step closer to where you want to be, even if that's five years from now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, perspective is, is the most important thing, you know, a coach can bring. It's really almost impossible to have it without that third party that can just kind of tell you tell you what's actually going on. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to quickly bring up that I was really impressed with you. Well, one, I guess one thing as a background for everyone, Talon's fairly active in a lot of different Facebook networking groups with different dentists. And I always really enjoy Talon's <laughs> comments because it's either going to be hilarious or it's going to be like this profound thought that, I never really considered, and uh, it's always uh, enlightening, I guess I should say. (laughs) It's always something. (laughs) Yeah. There was a point very early on in the the pandemic when there was a lot of debate from different dentists that they were sharing whether they were glad that they were owners or if they were associates. And... There was, I don't remember, but I I just remember reading a a thread or hearing a lot of different people that were saying they were so glad that they were an associate because they didn't have this huge hit on, you know, their income. They didn't have to worry about employees. And you shared a completely different perspective that I thought was, was really cool. Would you mind sharing that? Yeah. So, you know, to me, you know, practice ownership is all about control and having control over what your life is going to be and what you know how you're going to respond to situations. So, you know, COVID is the situation that is unlike anything that has ever happened to dentistry 
and really to, to you know to the country in our recent memory. And to think that you know an associate would have an advantage in that situation to me just made no sense. You know, I had several you know friends who are who are associate dentists who lost their jobs, and by that I mean the majority of my closest dental friends, you know, lost their associate jobs because uh, they were working for corporate practices that you know shut down um, and things like that. And and so you know, from my perspective, I was at that point ten months into ownership, and even with our slow start, we had been successful enough financially so that when COVID hit we were able to really comfortably navigate that whole process. You know, I, I paid my staff until that whole, you know, extra federal unemployment kicked in. I continued to pay my staff their regular wages while nobody was working or they were just kind of like cleaning the office and things like that. And I was able to do that because I was financially comfortable because I was an owner. You know, uh, I was able to, you know, honestly tell my wife that, you know, if we don't work for six months, we're going to be okay because ownership had given me that freedom and that flexibility to grow uh, financially and to relieve a lot of those financial stressors. Two weeks after we shut down, my wife had our first child. And at no point in that process was I thinking, you know, how are we going to pay for this? Or how are we going to afford diapers? And none of that is would have been the you know really have been the case had I been an associate up to that point or been an associate the last ten months. You know, ownership just just gives gave me so much freedom and freedom of of mind, so that I wasn't stressed out about all these sorts of things. Because, as you can imagine, if if you tried to navigate COVID and the post COVID recovery, and all you were was stressed out and unable to really anticipate what was going to happen and how we can deal with it. When your doors reopen, you don't do so successfully. You're stressed out and you're tired and you're afraid. And that just wasn't the situation for us. And, you know, I can't say that that would be true if I was an associate or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are excellent points. And I think sometimes we don't have the greatest ability to think of things and to get outside of our shoes. But I love that, that you basically took advantage of the opportunities that you were given during the months where things were going well and you were smart about it so that then when, you know, disaster hit, you were totally okay, even in this, you know, very worst case scenario situation. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, we're not even a year into this yet. And COVID is basically the worst, the worst possible case scenario. You know, the government basically closing your doors Nobody ever, that's not something they talked about in dental school that might happen. And so, you know, from my perspective, if, if I can, if we can navigate that as a dental practice and get, get to the other side of it uh, better than ever, then, you know, bring it on. Like, you know, cause you know, the sky's the limit for us. We can, we can do whatever we want to do uh, in this life. If, if COVID's not going to bring us down, then we'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing a lot of your experiences. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to share at this point with any listeners? Yeah, all I'd really say is that, you know, no matter where you are in your, your journey, your pre-dental, dental school, you know, associate or even early into ownership or, you know, mature practice owner, make sure that you live your life intentionally and make sure that you you know why you're doing what you're doing. As you guys often say, and is absolutely the, the truth, you know, time is our most valuable asset, and there will always 
come a day where we run out of it. And so we really do have to think, is what I'm doing today making my day my day as good as it can be and making my tomorrow better? And so everyone, you know, just keep that on your minds at all times because, you know, no matter what happens externally in our country or no matter what happens even internally in our practices, as long as we're living in a way that that leads to growth and leads to us getting towards the goals we want to be achieving, I think everyone will be just fine. And so, you know, keep that kind of stuff on your mind. And uh, I think there's a, a path to happiness for all of us. Well said. I would totally agree. And I think if I can bring out one of those points, it's just don't settle. Don't settle for something that is less than what you truly want. Because this is our shot. This is our time to live, our time to practice. And uh, if you're not going to take advantage of it now, when are you going to take advantage of it? And like Talon said today, and like, you know, all of us have, have said at TLP, if we can do it, anyone can do it. And that's why we're here is sharing the details and the process so that everyone listening can see that it's not some magic. It's not, you know, some mystical thing. It's there's details and there's steps that you take that can actually get you to where you want. Yep. So Talon, I don't know if you're comfortable with this, but if anybody wanted to reach out to you and pick your brain about anything, is there an email or a cell phone or pager or fax number that they can get a hold of you with? <laughs> uh, well, I've got an AOL address, so you know, which gives me I get more crap about my AOL email address than basically anything in, in the world that I do. So yeah, it's my first name Talon dot my last name Davis, Talon.davis at AOL.com. I'm happy to help anybody that thinks they can be helped by me. Um, and also, obviously, I'm very active on Facebook. So, you know, feel free to drop a line there. Awesome. Well, thanks, Talon. Everybody have a great week. Hope that uh, you were able to take away some of the pearls from Talon and his experience in his first year in ownership. Everybody keep working at the grind and work towards your vision. And we will talk to you later. Thanks, Derek. <laughs> Uh, jump without a net, never break a sweat.